And uh, we're actually going to start with something a little bit different this morning. And I'm, I'm just going to interview uh, a couple um, because we've, we were talking last week about wives from 1 Peter chapter 3. And this week we're going to talk about husbands. So I thought it would be great just to uh, um, expose you guys to one of the most amazing married couples that I know. Yeah. Michiel and Harry de Jong. So why don't you guys come up here? So I'm just going to ask these guys a few questions. Uh, but first of all, how long have you guys been married? 32 years. 32 years. And you have three grown-up children and three grandchildren? Is that right? Four. Almost five. Grandchildren, that is. I've got the number of kids right. Great. The number of kids is steady. It's three. Great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no more on the way. Okay, you're done. Bye. <laughs> so after 32 years and three kids and multiple grandchildren, um, first of all, what's kind of what would you say would be the kind of secret of your success? you could find the kind of special ingredient for marriage that's really served you guys, what would that be? It, it can be a big answer, but um, if you make it very short, it's actually, it's commun communication, I think. Um, have open lines with each other. Um, uh, the special thing we do every day at the meal in the evening, when we have the meal together, <laughs> is how was your day? And uh, we did that also with, when we had the family, but we kept on doing it when uh, we are now the two of us again. But it is really um, um, just a rest in the day that you can just uh, say all your blah and your highs and uh, uh, just how you feel. And um, yeah, we, it's having the open lines together. That's, that's I think, the secret one. Great. If, if it makes very short. Yeah. <laughs> Communication is also important because I uh, used to think that we started dating in April 17, 1981, but Harry thought we started dating in June 1981. <laughs> but for three months, I was convinced that we were dating. Um, but communication was important, and I is, and I, so communication is really important. That saves you three months, for example. Um, how do you, help and encourage each other to grow in your relationship with God? What does that look like? Um, again, you can say many things, but one thing that we do want to uh, communicate, first of all, that's it's the grace of God. And you can say that like, oh, it's the grace of God, brother and sister, which is true. But it really is the grace of God. It's uh, praying for one another, um, mandatory. But it is also, when you pray, listen to God, what he would be saying about your spouse or about yourself, usually. <laughs> and then, um, having that revelation, having that love, that communication from the Lord to, to help your spouse with that. Not to say, well, God said you need to do this. Because that's not communication, that's a command. Um, but to prayerfully then think, how can I support, in my case, her with this? How can I continue to pray? How can I, if I do think this is a revelation, not say, well, the Lord told me, but 
you know, I'm thinking about this and I'm praying about this and could it be that and then share. I started. Yeah. But um, also it is um, to give it over to the Lord because um, you can see all stuff that needs to be happening in his life. <laughs> but um, then it's, it's, it's not only the praying, but it's also letting God do the work inside of the other because God is able, he is in control and I can be very impatient and think, oh, something needs to happen. I heard something from the Lord and um, um, yeah. So in the beginning of our marriage, I really heard the Lord uh, talk to us about a calling in mission and, but he only spoke to me. He didn't speak to <laughs> him and I thought that's weird because you do stuff together. So um, I've only prayed about it and kept on praying, Lord, when it's really a calling from you, you need to show me heal very, very good because he said, no way, for never, ever, I will do this. So I was just being patient and letting God do the work. And that's actually, it's repeating in, in all those 32 years. <laughs> So it's letting God be in control, actually, and uh, he will do the work inside of both of us, and not I am doing the work inside of Michiel that needs to happen, because well, who am I that I think he needs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the final question, um, in your marriage, how do you try and honor and respect one another? What does that look like? Um, there's so much again that you can say, not because we are so old or have been married so long, but because we've had to learn a whole lot of things. So um, I'll, I'll start by um, actually what, what Matt preached on last week, and hopefully will continue to preach on today, is to see the other one through the eyes of Jesus and not through my eyes, because when I look at Gerry, of course, she's the most beautiful woman on earth, but that's a given. But um, then I would continue to see her as, well, this needs to happen, that needs to happen. But to, to look through the eyes of God and to encourage, what was the question? It was a good question. And I think I'm doing great, but what was the question again? <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little old, so I go, uh-huh. It was about respect and honor. The respect, exactly. Now, um, we both come... That's a great question. It is a good question. Wow. Did we, <laughs> um, we both come from different backgrounds, from a, a traditional church background, which is great because we come from a church background. It sometimes, it has been challenging because it's a traditional background, and there are, the models we have learned were maybe a little different. Um, but... The respect is, oh, um, I'm not going to do your preaching. So the respect is to really see Gerry for who she is and, and do everything I can to help her grow in that. Again, not to see her the way I think she is, but what God says about her. As a general given in the word, what God says about women. Joe did a good job on that, for example, also last week. But in everyday life that I would give myself over for her as the word says. And by doing dishes or by 
cleaning the bathroom, which I may forget every now and then, but that's my respecting her, by praying for her, by buying her flowers, by opening, holding the door open for her, and many other things. But that, that's the visual things, but in everything, so that she would feel, man, this is great. I, I want to be with him, which I like, of course. Also, uh, in practical note, it's, um, I don't know if you know, but we are completely opposites of each other. He is black and white, I'm this, this colorful, <laughs> lots of uh, <laughs> up. <laughs> well, so, um, also in the way we have our uh, hobbies or being personalities or uh, whatever, um, it's also to give each other room to be uh, yourself and to have your own, um, well, just hobby, hobby. Let it, let, let's keep it by that. And then also uh, think of that hobby like, oh, that's interesting. So f f be some interesting in his Second World War um, stuff. <laughs> that's because it's not interesting for me at all. But I will keep on asking him questions and I think of, oh, I found a book on internet, maybe this is one he doesn't have yet, and I go through his list to go and find the book that he still doesn't have yet. And, or I find an article uh, somewhere and say, look Michiel, I found an article for you. So I also think you need to be interested in the person, his interest. Yeah? That's great. One more thing, yeah, you can, just one. Okay. <laughs> Quickly, because um, uh, we have prepared and we, we did pray and we did talk and we prayed again. And the one thing that we want to make sure that will remain after we get off the stage again is um, that with God, you're able to get married and to stay married. As Gary said, we were completely different. We dated for five years because we needed to date for five years. We fought about everything. And the end of the day, we said, but I love you, I know we're supposed to be together. Now that, that God brings you together, you need to have that. With that, whatever your struggle may be right now is, we, we long for, we cry for that encouragement that you know you are able to have a relationship because it's God designed. Harry, the last couple of years, she started with this and we learned, if you have a fight, I'm almost done. If you have a fight, if there's something, don't go, yeah, but you said, no, but you said, do like this and have your argument, your thingy here and go, now this thing, how are we going to do this? God help us with it. How are we going to do this? It's completely different than, yeah, but you, so important. So ending this to encourage you, it is possible. God will help you. You may have to forgive a zillion times. You may have to give up something, but that's what Jesus did for us. That actually God gave up his son and Jesus died for his bride. So it is possible, I can tell you, I'm, I'm almost giving it over. We've <laughs> cried many times, we've fought many times, but with God, it is possible. And that's what this world, what this city needs, a relationship that works. Not that's perfect like everything, Sean, but that works, because God will help you, he will. 32 years, he's done it. It's, that's a test, not we are, but this work is God's testimony. And because he, we always think, the Lord brought us together, so there is no way out because this is his plan. Yes. So no how we think about it, how we feel about it, it's his plan, and we stick to his plan. So. Brilliant. Yes. 
Well, wonderful. Thank you, guys. These guys have been not only married for 32 years, but living and serving God in this city. And it's a real blessing to have them in our church because we're actually quite a young church. Um, so guys like this are a huge blessing to us. So please just attack them in a loving, gracious way and draw and learn as much as you can from them um, because they would love to help you and support you in any way. And you're a super blessing to us, so thank you. Okay, we are going to get into one Peter. And... Uh, dun, 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 dun. I'm not just reading the news here. I'm, this is uh, waiting for the slide to appear on the screen. But it is not appearing. Aha, here we go. Okay, let's read this together and then we'll pray. This, we did cover this first last week. We went from 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 7, but we're just going to hit on the seventh verse one more time this week. So it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me pray. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace. That for those of us here this morning that are followers of you, believers in you, we get to know the goodness, the lavishness, the fullness of your grace poured out on us, your kindness poured out on us, not for what we deserve, but this wonderful, unconditional love. And we want that to penetrate our hearts and change us. We want to be strengthened and changed from day to day by your grace, by your power. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you be at work in our hearts this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. We live in a, in a society, sadly, where we were talking a little bit last week where the whole idea of gender is very confused. I'm not going to unpack that again. You can listen again online if you want to hear what Joe and I said last week. But the whole issue is confused of men and women. Uh, and there's lots in our society that's very sad. There's lots of horrible stories, particularly about what's happened to women and what men have done, things that should cause us to grieve and mourn in our, in our hearts. In, in 2013, the World Health Organization said that 30% of women have been in a, an abusive relationship at some point in their lives. 30% of women. In the UK, in England, of one in 10 of all recorded crimes, so any crime of any kind, one in 10 is domestic abuse which would mostly be men abusing women, whether a partner or a wife. Um, and on average, the person is abused 33 times before they call the police. They live in fear and doubt, and they don't act on it. 
Here in the Netherlands, every year, one million people every single year are victims of some kind of abuse. One million people every year. Even in, in the, I read a survey recently, in the, I think this was in the USA, it was talking about abortion. It said 75% of women were coerced into, into having their abortion, with a, uh, a deliberate coercion, they were told to do it, or subtly, they were manipulated into that position. Now you can talk about pro-choice, but for those 75% of women, there wasn't a lot of choice there. And those statistics should, should, should grieve us. And sadly, you know, it would be great to sort of stand on a kind of a high horse and say, well, we're Christians, we're better than that. But unfortunately, that's not true either. That often in, in the church, there's all sorts of abuse and there's lots of stories, even in the news, in the, in the media about that. And often men will hide behind religion. They'll use it as an excuse. They'll hide behind religious phrases and terminology. They'll talk about submission, which Joe and I talked about last week. And they use that as a, as a defense to stand behind, to justify their abuse. Or even they'll talk about forgiveness and say, well, I've done this thing, but you need to forgive me. And women often feel fearful that they're not able to, to come forward. Often more so in, in religious contexts, women are less likely to come forward and say what's happened to them because they feel bound by concepts of forgiveness that have been um, put to them in an, an incorrect way. People don't talk about, there's no repentance, but there's lots of religious language used to, to dominate. And again, that's... It's wrong in so many ways. And in this verse, we find Peter saying to us that men should not be tyrants. The way it says that women are the weaker vessel, we talked about that a little bit last week. It's not saying that women are less intelligent or less emotionally stable. It's saying that there's a, there's a vulnerability in women, often to do with just strength, that in a lot of cases, men are just stronger, sometimes just in personality, but there's a vulnerability that gets exploited by men. And men, men mustn't be tyrants. Men mustn't be tyrants. That's what Peter's saying here, that men should be men of honor. Men must not be tyrants. And so often we just see that taking place in so many different ways. But sadly, how society tends to respond is, is actually, it makes it, it's quite difficult to be a man these days because ideas of, even the phrase masculinity is frowned upon, it's seen as a negative thing. And people want to just kind of flatten gender and say, well, men and women are basically just the same, make everything in a desire for equality, we make everything the same, and any distinctives of maleness are quashed and subdued. And men are often encouraged towards something that's really a bit, a bit wimpy, a bit pathetic. And men mustn't be tyrants, but men also mustn't be wimps. 
and useless because that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches us, not at all. And in marriage between a man and a woman, it's supposed to display something beautiful of how Jesus loves his church. That's the calling of every husband. Not just to love his wife, but to display to the whole world how Jesus loves us. And Jesus doesn't love us as a tyrant. He doesn't love us as a wimp either. And we should absolutely make sure that Peter's writing to a context where women were seen as inferior and he's standing against that. And any time we should see in our society or in the world around us where women are treated as inferior, we should seek to, to kill that. We should see that as, as unacceptable. Any time we see any vulnerability exploited. But the answer really is for us, not just for the men here, but for all of us to know, and not just for the husbands, but for all of us to know, is what is it to be a man? What does that, what does that look like? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about men of honor and some characteristics of men of honor. First of all, honor, it should start with how we speak, actually, because we could, I've quoted lots of statistics about abuse, which most of that would be physical abuse, but men can often exploit vulnerabilities with how we, how we speak. We can manipulate, we can force situations into our own way by how we use our words, how we speak about people. And so much abuse is kind of hidden because it's, because it's verbal. And as men, as husbands, with our words, we should be seeking to honor and to value and to promote our wives. You know, you see it with Michiel and Kheri, how they, just how they talk about each other. You know, I asked them to talk about what does it mean to honor and respect, but even just how they spoke about each other just modeled something to us all of what it is just to think the best of each other and to, to use our mouth to speak the best of each other and to encourage one another and to support one another. Men of honor should, should speak. Secondly, men of honor should, should sacrifice, which perhaps a more practical way to look at this would be um, we should show priority. Is we should put, put our wives first, not, not ourselves, but show priority to them. We looked a little bit last week from Ephesians 5, where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a, a high calling, a difficult task, one that is in many ways beyond us, but it's something wonderful to aspire to, to love our wives as Jesus loves his church, and how did Jesus love his church? How did he love us? He, he died for us. He gave his life for us. And ultimately, that's, as I've already said, that's what it is to be a husband. Not to die physically, but in our preferences, in what we want, in our desires, to be seeking 
to serve our wife and serve our families, to show priority to them. The next one is to, is to know and learn, because Peter says here that we should live with our wives in an, an understanding way. I think it's important, again, Michel and Harry were talking about this, it's important to, to get to know one another. They were talking about hobbies and understanding what makes the other person tick, what they enjoy in their world, in their life. But I think that's a brilliant mission to set yourself as a husband. I'm just going to spend the rest of my life, 32 years or however many years of marriage God's put in front of me, I'm going to use those years to, to learn as much about my wife as I can. Because all the time, Joe and I find out different things about each other. And it's wonderful. It's a great adventure you get to go on. And I think, and devote yourself to that. Set yourself as that, that's a little hobby that you can enjoy. I'm just going to get to know my wife better. Know what she, she likes, what she doesn't like. To learn about her. Learn about her vulnerabilities. Where does she, where does she struggle? Where does she need my, my help and my support? Where does she need my protection as a husband? My care, my love. Learn those things. And as well for us men, it's learning about ourselves. And often the best way to learn about ourselves is to ask our wives. <laughs> they tend to know quite a lot about us that we don't know about ourselves. But learn about yourself. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And it's important to have the attitude of being, of being watchful. Know your weaknesses. Find someone to be accountable to, to help you and support you. The things that you know you struggle with, talk to someone. Be watchful of yourself, of your heart. Learn about yourself, learn about your wife. The next one is to, to love. Again, in that verse from 1 Corinthians, it goes on to say, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And we could, we could read a word like that, a phrase like that, acts like men, be strong. I think that manliness is about doing more push-ups or, I don't know, knowing the, the football team when England won the World Cup in 1966. And I could tell you all the players. I could, I could Gordon Banks and Nobby Styles and... I could go on and on. Or manliness, you can define what it is to be a man in so many different ways. What it is to be strong in so many different ways. But really, true strength is, is actually about love. I don't mean that in kind of an airy, fairy, flowers and butterflies kind of way. But there's a real strength in, in love. In first of all, in your life, knowing how to put Jesus first before anything else. Of having him as the desire of your heart, the thing that you set your, your, your gaze upon, your life upon. If you do that, if you learn that love, if that defines you, then everything else then follows after that. You know, often before bed, I'll pray with my kids and I'll pray with them that 
Well, sometimes I'll pray with them for their future husbands, which normally freaks them out. But I'll pray that God would give them a husband that loves Jesus more than he loves them. That, that's what I, I want for them. That's what I want for myself. I don't always get it right. But I want to love Jesus much more than I love Joe. Not to say that I don't love Joe. But I want Jesus to be the first thing that I'm living for. Because then everything else will just follow in, follow in behind that. Men of honor should love. Also, men of honor should, should pray. Should pray. He goes on in 1 Peter here. To talk about the end, it's this slightly peculiar verse, which I'll explain a little bit more later. It says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Um, and some people will kind of translate that perhaps slightly or explain that, interpret that kind of a bit incorrectly and suggest that what Peter's saying here is that when men don't treat women well, it means it, it literally stops them from praying together. So their, their praying together is hindered, which I don't think is what Peter is talking about. But all the same, dis disharmony in your relationship can upset your kind of spiritual cooperation. And as a, as a man, as a husband, you need to be setting the spiritual temperature in your house. You should be leading in prayer. Not, not leaving it to your wife to do and following and trying to catch up, but, but leading in that, in prayer, in reading the word, being on the front foot. When the, when the New Testament talks about prayer, that basically there's this assumption throughout the New Testament that as believers we, we pray. We've got a week of prayer coming up, starting tomorrow, a brilliant opportunity to pray, to pray for this city, to pray for this church, pray for ourselves. But for husbands, that's, that's how we lead in our, in our marriages, is to pray, to bring out our, ourselves and our wives to God, to learn how to pray together. It's a really important thing to do. The next one is uh, to treat women as daughters of eternity, which now I think about it, it sounds a bit like a kind of female Christian heavy metal band, doesn't it? <laughs> Daughters of Eternity! <sighs> Their second record is really good. But uh, it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. You see, because we could kind of set this goal in our hearts, you know, I'm gonna treat my wife well because she's my wife. But actually it's something much grander, there's a much bigger vision here, there's something much more important at stake, that we're, we're treating them well, we're, we're loving them as Christ loved the church, because ultimately they've been called into his family. They're, they're, they're God's daughters. So it's, it's we're, we're married to someone else's daughters, you know? I know that if, if I was to, to do something foolish or to hurt Joe in a really horrible way, I know that her, her dad would, would, would be on the first plane. And he's just had an operation, so, you know, I could just run away and he'd struggle to find me. But he would hunt me down. He would. 
He should do, right? And we've got to have that same attitude in our heart. This is, this is God's daughter. This isn't just about wives and husbands. This is for all of us as men. I'm not going to treat that, a woman like that. This is daughter of God. This is someone made in the image of God. You can think about this, whether they're a believer in Jesus or not. They're made in his image, his creation. We shouldn't treat them with any kind of dishonor or disrespect. There's something beautiful that God's done there that we shouldn't corrupt in any way. And finally, there's a, there's a warning here that we need to pay attention to that I don't want to just brush over because it finishes as we mentioned a, a minute ago with this phrase, so that your prayers may not be hindered, which is a, an uncomfortable verse. And part of me just wants to let that be a bit uncomfortable for you. Because sometimes we can find these verses uncomfortable because we don't understand a couple of things. First of all, we can find them uncomfortable because we don't really understand the concept, the idea of holiness. And that's, that's what the book of 1 Peter, it's one of the major themes of the book, is about holiness. We're speaking about that a bit more in the coming weeks. But often we want to treat Jesus as you know, just our mate, our, our buddy, you know? We just want to hang out and have a few beers together, chit-chat. Whereas this is a holy God that we're coming to. It doesn't mean that we can't talk to God as our friend. Of course we can. But God's, God's holy. It means he's, he's different from us. He's set apart from us. There's an otherness about about God. And if we start dismissing and removing God's holiness and God's justice as a holy God, then that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous view of God that you're coming up with because it's not really God at all. You know, where would that leave all those stories of abuse that we were talking about at the start? If God isn't holy, how do, we, how do we decipher those things? They're just bad things that happen and God just kind of brushes them underneath the carpet? Ah, I'm not worried about that. We just want to come to God and bring our prayers and expect him to answer and just say, oh, don't, don't worry about that bit of my life. I'll sort that out later. Just pretend it's not an issue. And God just goes, ah, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. He's not like that. Is a holy God that we're coming to. And he, he says to us that we should be holy as he is holy. And that means that when he says here that our prayers can be hindered, I don't want to just explain that away and pretend that God isn't saying that because he is saying that. The Bible talks a lot about how prayers can be hindered through our disobedience, through our stubbornness, through just not listening to God, through sin that we've not repented of, lack of mercy to others and to hear. In terms of whether 
husbands are honoring their wives. If we're not, then our, then our prayers are hindered. And this hindering is like, a, it's like an interruption, like a roadblock has come in the way. So we need to understand that God's holy, but also we obviously need to understand his, his grace and what that means for us. Because you could, you could be quite worried now thinking, I, I, thought, I thought God was a, a God of love and a God of forgiveness. And, and he is, absolutely he is. This verse doesn't mean that you can't come to God. It's not saying that you're somehow blocked from his presence. But he's saying when you, when you, when you come to your father, he said, he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you as you are. He wants to change you. He wants to grow you. And that sometimes means that God disciplines us. Sometimes means he withholds things from us. Sometimes means that he'll hear our prayers and say, well, that's all well and good, but we need to sort this thing out first. It says in, in Hebrews, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's what we're trying to do this morning is to not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure because God is treating you as sons. <laughs> you, you actually should be more worried if God isn't disciplining you. Seriously. If, you, if you're aware of God's discipline, his training of you, that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It means God's at work in you. That means if you're aware of suffering and difficulty in your life, if you're aware of prayers that aren't answered, it's a good thing. It means God's at work. He's seeking to transform you and to change you to do a work in you. It's, it's not that God's just this angry God withholding all these things from you until you fix yourself. He's a father that loves you. Doesn't want to leave you as you are. Wants to change you. Wants, wants you to know what it is to, to repent. That's one of the huge issues <laughs> when it comes to abuse when Christian men say to their wives, well, you just need to forgive me, is first of all, they need to repent. They need to repent. And repentance sometimes for men can just be like, we see the consequences of our actions and we don't want those consequences to play out. Therefore, we, we apologize because we don't want that to happen. <laughs> That's not really repentance. Just saying, well, I don't want that bad thing to happen, therefore I'm going to say sorry. It's, it's actually, I've, I've sinned. I've, I've sinned against God. I, I want to turn my entire life around from that direction and point it towards Jesus instead. That's what repentance is, is a turning around of your life. And that's what God's trying to bring about in us. As a father who's saying, come back to me, follow me. And you might, perhaps you're a little bit confused and think that I'm suggesting here that somehow that you need to be perfect. Well, you don't. That's not the message of Christianity. 
If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, you might think that Christianity is just another religion where we say, do good things, be good, live a good life, and, and maybe, maybe you'll get into heaven. Maybe God will love you. It's not what Christianity is. It's he loves us because he loves us. And doing good follows that. It doesn't, it doesn't come first. It says in Hebrews 10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It means that through the work of Jesus, he's both made us holy already and he's making us holy at the same time. He's already done this wonderful work of forgiveness in our lives to draw us to him. Our status, our inheritance is that of sons who've been forgiven, who've been made holy, but at the same time he's calling us to a life of, of holiness, making a reality in our lives what's already true in heaven about us. So to give you an example, is, um, I was cycling here this morning and I've, I, was, I wasn't cycling very quick, partly because I've hurt my foot, partly because I was just tired. I was coming up this slope. You don't get many slopes in Amsterdam, but this is one of the few. I was coming up this slope, kind of just slowly working my way up, kind of ponderously cycling up this hill. And then this old lady on this bike just whizzes past me. And she wasn't putting any effort in. She was just cycling. And she was on one of those weird bikes that it's, it wasn't a Fitza bike and it wasn't a motorbike. It was somewhere in the middle. You know, they've got a little engine in the thing. So they look like a bike, but they've got a little engine. What are they called? They're called cheating. That's what they're called. Right. <laughs> Makes me angry. Like, how can you do that? It's not fair. But she just whizzed past me. <laughs> and it, that's what it is to be a, to be a Christian, right? Sometimes we feel like we're putting the effort in, we're doing, we're doing really well, but our feet are going round, but there's something else that's driving us forward. It's the grace of God. He's, he's, it's, Christianity is, is not us just trying to trudge up the mountain to get to God, but it's God's drawing us there. And we just kind of get to enjoy the ride. Sometimes we've kind of fallen off the bike and we're just hanging along and being dragged along or just kind of slumped unconscious over the handlebars, but yet the bike keeps going forward. God's grace keeps carrying us, keeps carrying us forward, keeps taking you forward. Whenever we do anything good in our lives, that's the Holy Spirit at work within us, within you doesn't mean we shouldn't strive and want to do good we absolutely should but even that impulse the want to do good that's the work of God within you that's his grace at work within you so it's not about us being perfect but it is about us seeking to be holy because Jesus is holy but always on this firm foundation of his grace and love and kindness for us okay why don't we stand to our feet and let me pray. Jesus, we, all of us, but particularly for the, 
the men here. We, we want to be men of honor. We do. We, we want the, the church, the people of God, to be a beacon of hope to a broken world. A, a place of refuge and safety. A place where through Christian marriage, something beautiful is modeled to the world. We show off to the world the love of Christ, how he loves us so richly, absolutely not to do anything that we deserve, but all because of his phenomenal grace. And that's, that's as men, that's how we want to live, men of honor, displaying the wonder, the power of what it is to be Jesus, living Christ-like lives of devotion and of love to him, loving our wives and those around us. But thank you we do all of that through your grace that strengthens us. I just pray for any men here that know that there's some things that they need to repent of. Actually, the, the, the idea of their prayers being hindered is kind of set their, their heart to kind of beat a bit harder. And I pray that they would just They'd know your grace and your forgiveness, but I pray you'd help them just to, just to repent, just to say sorry firstly to you, God, and then to whoever they've hurt, to turn their back on those things, perhaps to seek help and support and accountability, but to first of all, to fix their eyes again on you. All of us, we want to do that, God, where we've fallen, where we're kind of slumped over the handlebars of the bike. We want to say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to turn my back on those things. I want to set my eyes on you. I want to know the goodness of your grace and your love. Let's just respond to God in worship and come and sing. Let's receive his love as we sing together and let your heart sing a response of praise to him.